0: You are listening to an episode of Law Review Squared, the Law Review Review. It is 8 p.m. on Thursday, January 28th, 2021. I'm joined today by our panel, Seth, Courtney, and Joanne, who I'll ask to answer the question, what is your most used emoji? Let's start with Joanne.
1: Mine's either like the doe-wise emoji or the sparkle emoji.
2: Courtney? Oh, definitely the girl with the face palm. That is... Every day I use that emoji at least once.
3: And Seth? I just looked mine up. It's unfortunately the uh, the sad face, but I guess that's what law school does to you.
0: Well, I'm Tony Fernando, and I tend to use actually the smiling kitty cat. Uh, while supplies last, you can still get a free law-reviewed squared sticker by sending your mailing address to lexclava at gmail.com. That's L-E-X-C-L-A-V-A at gmail.com. We'll ship anywhere, even if you're overseas. And a reminder that opinions here are those of the panelists, do not necessarily represent the view of Penn State Dickinson Law, the panelists present, former, or future employers, or any other entity. Contents of this recording do not constitute legal advice. The article we're discussing today was by Alex Evak. Kiants from the Washington Law Reviews, stealing swagger NFL end celebrations and Fortnite's fortune. The article presents a hypothetical where Epic, the developers of Fortnite, an immensely popular video game, incorporate a dance based on an NFL end zone celebration into their game. Would the players or the NFL have a copyright claim? The article argues that in most cases they would not, but that this was not just and should be corrected. I found this interesting because I've played Fortnite with my kids. I'm a Cleveland Browns fan And in some sense, this podcast is intellectual property. So first question, unlike most people, even most celebrities, NFL players, especially the ones that score touchdowns often, um, often enough to have distinct dances tend to be rich. Does the practical answer change if the the originator of the dance is a high school football player who gets famous because of his dance that was on TikTok, but can't afford litigation? Does the moral answer change? Anybody want to start?
3: sure i'll take that one um i i don't think that the wealth of the copyright holder really changes the the protectability of the copyright um actually from from a practical perspective it might um, actually increase the need to protect it because the fame and wealth of the player would draw more attention to that dance and make it more coveted um, by people who want to infringe that copyright because it's more well known um but the moral answer i would probably still say no you know although government in, in my mind is more is most valuable um, when it protects the people that need protection the most you know for example if you think back to the middle ages or something and wealthy folks they build castles and moats and hired armies and things like that to protect themselves and their property um and if you have the means to protect yourself i guess you don't really need the government's protection but that being said, in today's world, you know, equal protection under the law applies as it should. And and I think it would be uh, immoral to try to parse out, you know, at, at one income level or asset value or whatever renders you, like, less susceptible to legal protections. Joanne?
1: So, personally, I spend a lot of time on TikTok. So I know a lot of TikTok dances. And I know that... The people who create the dances on TikTok are extremely prone to get their content stolen and used by bigger creators. And I think that kind of, they need to be protected more because their content is being stolen. And because they are not bigger creators, they don't have as much attention. When it's stolen by a larger creator, they don't get any credit for that while the larger creator makes a ton of money off of it. Whereas in NFL players, yeah, they can coin their own dances and stuff, but when they do it, because they're famous already, people see that dance and they go, oh, that person is the one who did that dance. Even if another famous person or something does it, they go, oh, you're doing the dance that this other famous person did so i feel like smaller people like people with less money less influence do kind of need more protection corny yeah i think when it comes to the monetization
2: of all of this it's a really interesting tie-in um obviously copyright to some extent has a monetary value but that's not the pure purpose of copyright. Um, I think in the article he even had mentioned, um, copyright law typically is um, an opportunity for uh, protecting the creative works. And usually it's something that's done to promote creativity. And as of right now, the fact that TikTok does not copyright individual dances or allow its users to copyright their dances, and yet, The creativity has not been stifled because of this. Um, I would I'd be less inclined to feel the need to um, copyright these shorter expressions of dance. Um, moreover, when it comes to the NFL dances themselves, that, because I know the topic is specific to the end zone dances, The NFL has done something not on purpose, but has given us this really beautiful statistic by banning the NFL end zone dances for a full season. I believe it was in 2017. We would be able to take that and look at endorsement deals that still occurred that year and then compare them to endorsement deals that are happening today. And usually I would I would expect that chances are the monetary value of those endorsement deals is not based on the dance, but rather based on the amount of times that NFL player scored a touchdown and was even given the opportunity to have a celebratory dance. Um, Of course, that would take time, which we as law students don't have. But um, I think that that would be a really effective argument um, in the event that there was no change in the monetary value of endorsements.
0: that's a good point. And actually, that, and that would be a good empirical study as to the value of copyright and, in promoting creativity um, versus whether there is no real effect on promoting creativity because people are going to create anyway. The rapper Too Milly sued Fortnite for copying a dance move from him in a similar manner, but had to drop the suit after the Supreme Court decision in another case, which meant that he would have needed to have a decision from the Copyright Office on his copyright registration before bringing suit. In reference to that suit, Chance the Rapper said, and here I'm quoting, Black creatives created and popularized these dances, but never monetized them. Imagine the money people are spending on these emotes being shared with the artists that made them. Should the fact that Fortnite charges for access to these emotes or dances affect whether the video game maker can incorporate them, how does the history of racial cultural appropriation in the wider society affect your view of the specific purported
3: infringement? Seth? You know, the fact that Fortnite charges for the dances, you know, there's an argument to be had uh, against allowing them to use the copyrights, at least morally, legally, however, I mean, you can't enforce a copyright unless you have it filed. Um, and yeah, I mean, Chancellor Rapper is right in this regard. But it, you know, I, I think it comes back to a lot of cultural issues and, and societal issues that we have with race. I mean, I had done um, some work with um, some minority entrepreneurs, and we were trying to get a um, like an inner city business incubator going and uh, I mean you talk to these folks and 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 it, it's I mean I'm a white guy if, if you don't know that but um there's like a whole almost a, 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 an underground economy going on in these neighborhoods where um you know for example the one guy I was talking to he sells food out of his house and he essentially runs like a to-go restaurant out of his house to people in the neighborhood and that's how he makes a lot of his money and like you know once a month or something the health department comes in and says okay you can't do this remember and he says okay and he stops for a week and he starts up again and and then you know you ask him like well have you considered you know making this uh you know an above the board business so to speak and like you know filing uh, articles of incorporation or, or whatever and he says you know Number one, who, he doesn't have the money for that. Number two, not really sure how to do that, um, in which case an incubator would would help. But I mean that. And then so this same argument kind of comes back into the whole argument of, you know, uh, redlining and, and property taxes to fund schools and and the education system and, and affording economic opportunity and, and allowing people the, the means and the knowledge to file their own copyrights and enforce their own copyrights. And unfortunately, you know, Chancellor Rapper, again, he's, he's he's right in that regard and that it's just not happening because the system is is failed these populations. So I think that, I mean,
0: that's a good point that there isn't uh, perhaps an education gap. My understanding of the copyright is that you do have the copyright from the moment that you've created it, but you do have to register it before you can bring an enforcement action, or you can bring in any type of action for to recover damages, and that creates a bar for somebody who is, you know, dancing with their friends, you know, out on on the block and and create something cool. But it allows other people to take that from them without comp- any type of compensation, and that doesn't seem to be entirely just. Joanne,
1: you know, I watched a lot of TikTok. I have seen smaller creators have their creative output stolen by larger creators. And, you know, because they're smaller creators, they don't have the money to sue. They can't do anything about it because, I mean, what can they do if they don't have the money? They can't actually copyright it. They, you know, so they have to sit back and watch other people um, profit from their creativity. I feel like, like Seth said, um, Chance the Rapper was completely correct. And, you know, a lot of uh, minorities have um, their creativity stolen. And because they're the minorities and because we have um, a systematically racist country, basically, it's, you know, kind of under the radar and, you uh, minorities can't do too much about it you know there is that educational cutoff i guess that they're not getting the same education or they haven't been able to they can't afford it um so they don't know how to protect what they've created and i feel like there should be protections for that but you know they're not and i think the fact that fortnite is charging for taking like the creative voices away from the people that actually made these dances and they're just selling them as their own without any credit regardless to whether or not it's been copyrighted or not the fact that they don't give any credit and then they sell it as their own that's what really upsets me because it just feels so morally unjust
0: there was a footnote that Jet Li, the famous martial arts actor, declined to part in The Matrix because he was worried that his signature Kung Fu moves would become property of the producers. Is that something that every creative person should be worried about? Seth?
3: I don't know. I mean, I think the answer is to this one, at least, is copyright everything. You know, if you're like in a position like Jet Li where you could potentially um, make money off that copyright easily, um, you know, that way you'd be able to negotiate Uh, with the use of the moves in the film, with the movie producers or whoever you negotiate with. I mean, I remember I spent about one semester in music business school before I realized that it was essentially like a copyright one-on-one curriculum. And the first thing they teach you um, after they tell you, literally that the degree is kind of useless, is how to file a copyright. Then they impress on you like constantly that you should copyright everything all the time.
0: I do think that, Some of the concern as far as digital likeness and and, and and moves and so on. The NFL is actually a good example here because every year the NFL's players union licenses the the likeness and the faces and the moves of the players to Madden 2021 or whatever year we're on uh, in that series. NCAA uh, does the same thing for the college football players and and those sports games that are more conventionally tied to what the players are doing. So there, you know, the likeness, the moves does get used by by these other companies, but the interests of the players are being protected because there's licensing agreements.
2: I don't know that it's something that a creative person should be worried about in the context of these end zone dances with the NFL. But I think in the larger scheme of things, it absolutely is something that if I'm trying to create something that I want recognized and validated, whether or not that's monetary, I want to be validated for my work and if that is a legal piece of paper that allows me to do with it as I please, whether it's sell it, whether it's um, use it for, you know, something that has nothing to do with profit ability, I, I think that that's something that every creator probably at some point very seriously considers is how is this going to be used by the world at large? Um, and if that's, if that's a concern, then there should be some legal backing, I would think, to whether or not, you know, their creativity then is protected.
0: So I had a sub question here, um, because what we are doing is sort of a creative endeavor. It is a creative endeavor. Um, Should we have some sort of agreement about IP created in this podcast, even though we're not seeking monetization? And you guys did know that by joining you, you've agreed to provide me, you know, pay off my student loans, right?
1: Oh yes, I definitely pay you. I pay you tons. I'm so helping you, aren't I, Dad?
3: (laughs) (laughs) I mean, that's a good question. I would I mean, I don't know. I haven't really put much thought into that. Um, maybe if we made like a an intro jingle and increase our listenership, you know, we could talk.
2: Well, I think that that, the fact that we're not concerned by that and it's not stifling our creativity or inhibiting our participation speaks volumes about do things really need to be copyrighted for the validity of creativity? And I guess it just goes out to what the intrinsic motivation is of the creator. Um, One of the concepts that Joanna had talked about, I found was really interesting. It sparked in my mind. um, I am an old soul and I really enjoy on Pandora. My radio stations are kind of crazy. I like listening to the four tops, listening to the Supremes and if I'm out on a walk, I'm always surprised that every now and then an intro to a song comes up and I have to like pull out my phone and think like did somehow it switch to a, um, a radio station on its own because it sounds like something it's so vividly similar to songs that are on the radio today and i just think that that you know kind of talks to even with copyright on those songs there's still ways to get around you know working collaboratively um i don't know what kind of deals the individuals worked out to be able to share that kind of um musical production um but i don't know i i feel like sometimes when you think about copywriting something you know it's not just for it to be stagnant. Sometimes it's so that if you do recreate, like Joanne, I was talking about with the TikToks, where it starts at a baseline level and then all of a sudden an influencer sees it and they take off with it. Sometimes all they want is that, creden- you know, the, the credibility that they started something, you know, maybe it's not even the monetization. And I know I keep going back to that, but, um, At what point is it maybe just even the recognition? I mean, we start every podcast with our names um, and maybe that's all I need instead of a copyright. Yes, that's exactly
1: what I was talking about. Um, So before the podcast started, I was, you know, I was talking about some bigger TikTok stars, you know, when a smaller creator creates a dance, uh, you know, they have an app you get. So creators bigger creators can tag them and say, dance credit goes to this person. But if they get that video big enough before they've credited that person, nobody knows that another person did it. And because they're a smaller voice, they're not going to be heard, but it, all they want probably is just to be credited, just say, Oh, this is where I got my ideas, this is where I got my inspiration, or this is who created this. And that's enough, even if you're still making that money, at least credit the person, because that speaks to your morals a lot. And like you were saying with songs and stuff, one of my favorite lines in a Halsey song is actually from a Justin Timberlake song. And I find that so interesting because another artist can sample another song, even if it's been copyrighted. And, you know, it's already been monetized, you know, that phrase or whatever from that previous song. But like, if you give that credit, if you say, yeah, I sampled this song, like an example would be. I Ice, Ice Baby and um, Another One Bites the Dust. They have the same intro. But, you know, they whoever did whatever after at least credited the person, you know, and that's all that matters, I think.
0: So certainly a dance on TikTok that is using parts from another dance on TikTok could be fair use. Could the use of a dance in Fortnite be fair use? And to recap, the elements of fair use were elucidated in Campbell versus Akka rose music from 1994. And in that case, the Supreme Court held that commercial use was not presumptively unfair. The question is rather, is the use transformative? Um, that They noted that some works were closer to the core of what copyright protection was intended to be provided for than others. justification for the amount taken uh, from the original and then harm to the original work to the original work or the market for derivative works. So could, could fair use apply to the use of a dance in Fortnite?
1: Yes, if people are being credited. All of this goes back to, are they making money off of something that they gave somebody else credit for, or are they stealing it as their own? And in most cases, Fortnite doesn't care who they steal from. They just want to make money off of it. And that's why they have people pay for it. I don't have a problem with playing Fortnite. I play it with my brother. um, But I do have a problem with people buying the emotes. I personally will never buy emotes because, like I said, I know a lot of the dances and stuff. And I know they come from other places. And I know they're not being credited. So it could be fair use if... Fortnite wasn't monetizing these dances as their own if they were giving credit to the original creator.
3: So I'm not a gamer uh, and I'm only, I mean, I'm familiar with Fortnite through like the cultural zeitgeist, but I'd say in this instance, it probably turns primarily on the fourth factor, um, harm to the original work or market for derivative works in that having the dances on the game doesn't really harm the market for the original work. Uh, In fact, and I think I kind of made this point earlier a little bit, it probably helps to expand that market a bit. I mean, how many young Fortnite players knew of, you know, who Carlton was when they took his dance, but then they might have looked it up on YouTube and, you know, learned Carlton and expanded Carlton's market or the Fresh Prince's market. Otherwise, though, you know, having the dances on Fortnite is probably not, Probably doesn't meet the first elements. Probably not transformative use, I would argue. I, I presume they take the entire amount of the dance. It might it might not uh, reach that third factor other.
2: Yeah, I think when we look at too the amount of the dance that's taken, they're such short snippets. Um anything short of the full dance would just be maybe one or two simple moves. And then how you know, what service, what purpose would that serve? Um, I also think that getting back to the core of what copyright protects and is intended to be provided for. Um, Again, that is to ensure the continuation of creativity and ensuring the continuation of um, invention. And I haven't, I don't know that it would be possible to actually prove that as a harm to say, well, people have stopped doing end zone dances because they're concerned about this Fortnite issue or, um, you know, I don't know that we could prove that the harm exists. And again, back to maybe that study where we look at, okay, maybe across the year where NFL banned the end zone dances perhaps there's a monetary decline in their endorsement contracts but even then that could simply be correlation and not exactly causation so yeah i think it's i think it's especially tough to prove um not just one but many of the factors that are needed for this
3: then the other thing too about going off that is is you know it might have even spurred creativity i mean since Fortnite's come out and it's popularized these dances I mean, I know there's a ton of dances going around, although that's also from TikTok and stuff, but, but um, you know, the the, the five-second dance market is booming right now.
1: Yeah, I know that I, they take short snippets, but I will say that sometimes those snippets are, like, such huge parts of other fandoms or whatever. I'm a big fan of K-pop, and I know one big thing in the K-pop industry is key points in the choreography of dances. And, you know, they have signature moves and then I know that Fortnite has taken those moves and they're short, but because they are key elements of that choreography, if someone's part of that fandom, they instantly recognize it and they go, oh, well, I know they weren't credited for that. But you don't realize that it's been stolen if you aren't part of that other fandom. And that's where my issue comes in. Because if you credited the person, somebody would be like, oh, yeah, I like this Fortnite dance. Oh, they're crediting this creator? Let me look this person up. Because maybe they have more cool dances. But they're not. And they're just going, oh, that's a cool Fortnite dance. And they're leaving it at that.
0: Speaking of fandoms, there's a lot of overlap between the Fortnite community and the football uh, fandom community. Teenagers play Fortnite, and they also watch football. How do you think teenagers would react to litigation over dances in Fortnite? Would they be upset that the dances of their favorite uh, players might be taken away, or would they feel that the players were not being treated fairly?
1: As a teenager here, I do not think it's fair for Fortnite to be taking all these dances, and I kind of sound like a broken record here I watch okay I watch football a little bit I play Fortnite a little bit and you know I may not know every single in, in uh, whatever it's called dance <laughs> but I do know that Fortnite has taken a lot of dances from other um, groups or whatever that I do watch and they steal it so I feel like they're taking away from those other creators by not crediting them i'm probably one of the most on-edge teenagers about that i i can only speak for myself but i feel like most other teenagers probably would be like chill it's just a video game but personally because i belong to other fandoms or whatever i follow other things um i find it really really sad that the groups that i love aren't getting credit for their creativity
3: courtney or seth i don't really think they would care to be honest with you um i think they would probably be happy to see the overlap and they would make a joke about it and uh, go on with their lives courtney
2: yeah i don't I don't think that at any point when I did something as a teenager, I thought it was so cool that it should be something that's copyrighted. But maybe I'm just not a cool person. Um, And, you know, I mean, short of short of teenagers that are viewed on a national level, um, I just don't know that that's even a concept that has crossed their mind to be a concern.
0: I'm not sure. I mean, I I obviously I have a teenager um, who is concerned about uh, that type of thing. Um, I also remember when I was a teenager, we were concerned about copyright, but it was mostly about getting caught for copying video games. Um, so, this
3: is being recorded, uh, by the way.
0: Yeah, well, the statute of limitations is over because um, <laughs> I'm not young. But uh, the uh, so so I'm not really sure how I, how I feel about that question.
2: I think it's All just right. better proof that Anthony is much cooler than I am. <laughs> no, he's not.
0: All right. Anybody have any final thoughts before we close the episode?
1: I just want to say that I'm just an edgy teenager. I, I do not represent all of my generation at all. I am probably one of the very few uh, of my generation that think the way I do. Um, but I guess that's just because I believe everybody should get the credit that they made something fun and creative but they're not getting credit for it but that's just me not every other teenager (laughs) all the more reason for your
2: voice to be heard joanne
3: what are your opinions on the life plus 70 years um i'd like to hear that is that too long do do what the the terms of a copyright go for the life of the author plus 70 years oh really what what are you yeah what, what so like so then their kin or their heirs or whatever you want to call them can, can essentially profit off that copyright for the next 70 years. Um, is that too long? Um, is it too, too short?
1: Um, oh, I don't think that's very fair. In my opinion, I feel like, okay, say my dad did something fantastic. Yeah. Um, and then I go on pretending that like I created it or something, I would feel so guilty. I would be like, oh my goodness, yeah, my dad did something awesome. I'm going to still give credit to my dad. So I feel like if it's about 70 years, if every single person going down the line still says, yeah, this is the family member that created it and they didn't take credit for it. My big thing is just on credit. Just give credit where it's due.
3: And then going off that, so I'll I'll ask you to the same question, but then... You know, what if a corporation creates a copyright? What if they own the copyright? I mean, we go back to the constitutional argument of it for a limited time. I mean, constitutions are, are, I'm sorry, corporations are around theoretically forever, or they could be. Is that too long?
2: Yeah, I think sometimes, too, when when it comes to that, even if it's whether it's an individual or a corporation, there are instances where something is novel enough or unique enough Um I don't know at what point does the copyright just become its own self-serving, you know, entity. Like if we look at some of the maybe cartoons that we all know and love that obviously have already run their initial limitations for their copyright and had been beneficiaries of the extension, would those corporations cease to exist if those copyrights expire or would it force them to create better content, to ensure that without their original copyrighted material, that they still are, you know, functioning corporations. I, I guess I don't, I don't know that I see a necessity for corporations to be able to claim a copyright for the longevity of the corporation, but I don't know how they establish a lifetime of a corporation.
0: That's an interesting point because I think that a corporation should have a trademark interest in like their logo for the life of the corporation. So if um, arm and hammer is a famous, like their trademark is an arm and a hammer, right? And they, if they stay in business until 2300, they should probably be able to still assert rights over that particular thing. But copyright or patents are different. Like you're pointing out. Um, And it's weird to me that our copyright Regime, I mean, seems to be driven by one specific corporation almost, which has a very major property expiring in 1920 uh, that was created in 1923. <clears throat> that type of protection. No, it doesn't necessarily sit well. Also, there's a rule that we haven't gotten to yet in property law. Um, but people on you know legal Twitter make fun of this because it never comes up, I guess. But there is a rule against perpetuities where. Legal agreements can't extend indefinitely. They can only extend for the life of somebody who's living, plus you know, or for the life of somebody who is alive at the time that the agreement is made. And um, yeah, I, th- I think you can make an argument for seventy years after the death of, of the creator. I think you can make an ar- argument for twenty-five years after the death of the creator. Um, I think you can make an argument for 14 years, as in the 17 1792 Copyright Act or 1790 Copyright Act, but um, I I do think that seven years is probably on the edge of too long, and I don't think that it it is useful to society in the sense of encouraging the creation of intellectual other intellectual property, whether we're talking about patent or copyright.
1: Yeah, going off of that, um, and also what Courtney said, you know. Uh, with cartoons or something I was just thinking about this so Scooby-Doo has been around for a really long time I think it was like made in the 60s or something and then there was you know more in the 70s and 80s and 90s and even now there's still new Scooby-Doo's being made or whatever um but I was thinking about it um you know the creator's may or may not be dead who knows i i don't but generally at the beginning of every single one you know um it goes based off of the comics or the cartoon by so-and-so so when they give that credit once again like a broken record where credit is due give it so i feel like so long as like corporations are like doing that like inspired by or based off of something created by someone else. As long as they're doing that, I feel like an infinite amount of time is fine, but you can't, you know, ensure that they're going to continue to give that credit. So I think, like Tony said, 70 years is, like, really on the verge of where it needs to cut off.
0: So, And just an editorial note, uh, Scooby-Doo was created by Joe Ruby and Ken Spears, both of who died this year. I grew up with Ken Spears, yeah, he's a good guy
1: that's depressing thank you
0: very much okay and uh with that we're about out of time thanks again to our panel courtney seth and joanne reminder that you can find a link to the article discussed by going to lawreviewsquared.com and looking at the episode notes let us know what topics you'd like to consider by twittering suggestions to at squared law please like follow subscribe or give us a rating wherever you found this podcast if you're a law student at any school and would like to be on the panel feel free to get in touch using any method Audio post-processing by Muhammad Suleim. Podcast adjourned.